following message is from the 2015 IBCD Summer Institute, equipped to counsel. Okay, um, it's a little early, but I want to start with prayer. If you want to take notes, it's up to you to take notes. Okay, because there's no printed notes on page 111, 12. It's really a blank for you to fill in. These are our real cases. Uh, I've tried to change some of the info so they're not recognizable, but I'm sure somebody uh, might pick it up. I've tried to do that. I've only happened once in 40-some years. I said, no one will know this, and the guy came up to me afterwards and go, you were talking about so-and-so, weren't you? Boy, did I get really embarrassed because they knew the person, and uh, they said, yeah, you're right, he never changed, but anyway. Uh, so page 111 and page 112, uh, the task that they've given me is to take difficult cases, real cases, to, to show you a little bit about the background, and uh, what I'd like to do is a real quick five-minute information in terms of background, about 10 minutes or 15 minutes at the most uh, on the case, what happened, where it went, why I think that uh, this was good biblical counseling, at least not perfect, but good, and then leave time for 10 minutes for Q&A, and we'll do that with two different cases, okay? Um, I always say at seminary, I have two jobs here. One, I have to scare the daylights out of you so that you don't get out into the pastorate and think, well, uh, people are just like this. The light of the shock value when people attack you is surprise attack. And then the second thing is to convince you that God has the answers in Scripture and in church. So let's pray. Father in heaven, as we come to this, these are real people, real problems. And Lord, we need to not only know the techniques, we need to know how you work in time and space. So bless us to that end, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. This is called Militia Man and His Mate. Okay? Um, Here's some of the information. Uh, And I'm going on what would be a PDI. You see that in Jay Adams' uh, Christian Counselor's uh, Manual. And uh, IBCD and other biblical counselors use forms like this for some similarities. So this is the PDI for... I'm going to call him Joe and Josephine, okay? Uh, Joe is a uh, self-employed videographer. Uh, His wife, Josephine, she is a housewife. They're married. Uh, They came to um, biblical counseling through recommendations of friends. His health is very good. Her health is good. Uh, not perfect. She's suffering from some anxiety, some other issues. Uh, neither of them were taking medication. They're, neither of them, up to that point, had been arrested. Um, and both were willing uh, to sign any kind of release of information uh, so that I could talk to physicians or others if I deemed it necessary. Um, denominational preference both professing Christians, but really no commitment to a denomination or even local church. Uh, Certainly a charismatic background, different churches, that'll come into play here. Both were baptized, both are professing Christians. They say they believe in God. They both say that they pray often. 
They both claimed that they're saved. They understood that term. God had saved them. And there were some doubts about that in the husband's mind. Um, Very occasionally read the Bible. Not hardly at all. Um, No family devotions. No reading and prayer with with, uh, kids, with each other, etc. Come on in. There's plenty of plenty of room, and uh, there's chairs in the middle there, uh, so there's plenty, some here. Just don't sit on the little recorder, that's the only other thing, okay. Um, so both were coming in, both were educated, college, college educa- educated. Um, both of them uh, had, you know, matriculated and graduated from four-year universities. Uh, both claimed to be Christians, as I said. And both were willing to come for counseling. They had not yet been separated. No one had uh, filed for divorce. Um, And uh, the husband was 28 when they got married. She was 22. Uh, Knew each other for about six months. Were engaged for three months before they got married. Um, One previous marriage for him. He had been married with a divorce. No children from that marriage. They had two children, two boys. One was 12, the other one was 10 years old. So husband, wife, uh, two boys, one 12 and one 10. Um, Both single, uh, single, both um, only children, you know, from families that didn't have siblings. Um, As to background... Typical, you know, that kind of days, pot smoking in college, etc. Um, had they been severely emotionally upset? Yes for the wife, yes for the husband. They were upset with each other. That was, that was the big emotional upset. She had big rages, such as yelling at each other at a, at a, uh, uh, like a stoplight. She might get out of the car and stomp home couple miles, okay? So, things like that. Um, he didn't like that, of course, and uh, his um, mode of operation was he took her to uh, people who specialized in casting out demons. So, she didn't ask for that, but he took her, okay? And they had gone through some demon ousting ceremonies at different places. As they subjectively uh, described themselves, husband said, I'm very active, very ambitious, self-confident, and persistent. That's the way I would describe myself. And uh, the wife, impulsive and moody, often blue. None of the, neither of them seemed to have any perceptual problems in terms of hallucination, etc. So... That's sort of the background, and, and, and uh, we used to, uh, there's still some seats here if you guys want to sit in, you know, so you don't have to stand the whole time, but what's the problem? Husband, my wife rages and is unwilling to submit to me. Why are we not surprised, as Iago said, okay, in the movie. Um, okay, what have you done about it? Husband, I've taken her to demon... Uh, Casting out and uh, pastoral experts and etc. Uh, what do you want us to do, husband? Help her to calm down. Okay. Uh, what does the wife want? Help the the husband to treat me right. 
What brings you here at this time? Nothing works. And friends told me about biblical counseling. And uh, any other information we should know? Yes, there are some legal problems in terms of property, etc., that he was going through. Okay, so that's that's the background. Okay, um, what happened? Okay, let me give you a quick um, overview. I actually counseled them twice, not one week, you know, but two separate times. They came in, <clears throat> uh, they stuck with me for maybe two, three months, sort of got the uh, radical screaming and other stuff, you know, settled down and got them, you know, typical assignments, you know, read these passages and you know, make a list of your own sins, ask for forgiveness, etc. Things relatively calmed down. It was never really good, but, you know, went as far as I could and it was one of those where they sort of drifted away. Everything was outwardly okay, but uh, near, not really great resolution of problems. About two years later, surprise, they end up coming back. Why are we back? Guess what? Same old, same old. Okay? So after uh, going through this, and, and um, you know, this is to show you that people can make outward changes, but if there's no heart change, it just doesn't stick. So uh, we started working, and a lot of bitterness on both of their parts. And uh, this was asked in the uh, session, what do you do when you, know, you do the right thing and people don't change? This is one of those. And I give it to you because I think it's, an, it's, uh, it's significant. <clears throat> I looked at them and said, you know, I don't think that I can ultimately help you uh, unless... I can get you into a good, solid, Bible-believing and practicing church that has real elders that act like that. And I explained what that meant. You know, elders that actually will come and see you at the house. They'll talk with you, pray with you. They'll, they'll do the stuff you know, that I was trying to do once a week, you know, which is very ineffective you know, in terms of deep-seated problems. Well, again, to give you the details, um, I said to them, here, here are some churches. And actually, it was, in, it was in the San Diego area when I was working here. And I said, here's a church, and here's a church, here's a church. Here's three or four churches that I trust in the sense that they are this kind of church. Because everything I've done with you in the past is unraveled and you're really not following that. So they sort of bought that and um, they all were long shots and they decided it was they were North County to go to a place that I had recommended. Well, it's very interesting. This is a very solid church and um, the people, you know, and if you're here and, and know the church, I'll slap you upside the head if you act like you know who it is so people figure out what it is, okay? So I said, look, you can go to this church. So they went to the church, and uh, they interviewed them, and it was very interesting. I've never had this happen elsewhere. The elders said, look, we'll love on you and we'll help you, but we can't let you join the church. 
And I said, why? He said, because if we make you come in, we're going to have to put you under discipline immediately. <laughs> you're both living like non-Christians, and you're not following you know, what God says, but we don't want to cast you out. You know? We'll work with you. So they did. The elders worked with them, prayed with them, let them come to church, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. And after about a year, now after a year, um, the wife joined the church. Now that's significant. Why? Because let's double back. If you have a husband who says, basically, in a spiritual sound, you're a nutcase woman. And the only thing that's going to work is having somebody cast demons out of you. Now, that, that really makes for marital unity. I mean, <laughs> whoa, you'd really want to sidle up to a guy like that, right? You know, oh, okay. Anyway, so, but more importantly, this woman struggled, you can understand that, with what? Assurance. How can I be a Christian? And even though I don't think I'm demon-possessed, Act like I'm demon possessed. Even she knew that. Well, she knew that she was wrong, getting out of cars and stopping. Okay. She knew that that was ungodly. Okay. Sitting under good preaching, and having that care. Finally, hearing the word. Uh, you know, and, and being loved, she finally came to the conclusion: I really am a Christian. I really love the Lord, and I want to join. And the elders heard her profession of faith, and she joined. Husband refused. Now, why do I call him militia man? Because not only doing videography, he also got involved in the militia movement. Anybody here in the militia movement? Don't want to offend you, but I will. But okay, okay. <laughs> the bottom line, if you know anything about it, they're pretty rugged individuals. Okay. You know, so they're going to take over, you know, protect America from all the bad things that have happened. And, you know, obviously we're here today, right? And it's well worse than it was, you know, 20 years ago. So he refuses to join. He gets involved in the common law, you know, uh, movement. You heard of that. Uh, I don't know if it's still going on, but, you know, common law in terms of English law and... Uh, Things like our courts, which I don't think are the best in the world, uh, but our courts are still legitimate courts. He didn't believe that. They're non-statutory. You know, they shouldn't exist. Okay? So what happens is he gets involved in that, uh, begins to actually sue in that against the church and against me for alienating of affection of this woman. Okay? You've alienated my wife, and you've driven her away. And he wanted me to go up to L.A. to 12 of his friends who were going to adjudicate this, okay? Now, this is how smart the man was. <clears throat> he walked into court when they're... Long, okay, i got to back up. They worked with him. He refused to join, and the wife did, and they gave her protection. He says, you can't come to this church. She says, no. I'm a member of this church. I'm coming here. I'm bringing the boys. Well, of course, he was going to sue. He was going to actually take out an advertisement in one of the San Diego papers about how we had alienated affection, etc., etc. Debbie Dewar, she's a lawyer. She'll laugh at this. Okay, There's no way I'm going up to L.A. 
and being tried by 12 of his buds. <laughs> Absolutely no way. Okay. So it comes down to he will not respond and comes down to a custody case and a divorce. He divorces her. You're non-submissive. You're this, that, and the other thing. Divorced her in common law court. Went out and married a third woman. Okay. Now, all of this is to say he walks into court. I would have loved to have been there. And he says to the judge, you have no authority over me. What? That is a dumb thing to say to a judge. So the judge goes, really? Ma'am, you get full custody and you can't see the kids. Okay. The last I heard, I've lost contact, maybe 20 some years ago, she moved to another state with the boys. There was a divorce. Now, uh, why do I do it? It's an extreme case, but I look at this as a success. Why? Because here is a woman who had no protection from a man who is literally out of control. I, I can go other cases, you know, um, again, I. We homeschool, we love homeschooling, you know, but they're radical homeschoolers and we've run into them all when we were out here. Hey, you can't join this church. You can't join this church because, man, this church isn't biblical enough. I, only I am left, Mr. Elijah, okay, and he starts a house church, lays hands on himself, he ordains himself and he becomes a pastor as well as a whatever. Anyway, uh, you run into those. Those women need protection. Now, it's sad. The boys obviously grew up without their father. But I would say, in the long run, they were better off being protected from a man who's out of control, doesn't know how to love a woman, and is going to set a horrible example to him. Huh? Now, I tell you that case because it's extreme, one, but two, the church did something that I could not do as an individual counselor in an independent counseling center. Or a counseling center attached to one church, which we were, but this was somebody in a different church, because I have no authority and jurisdiction. So that's the story. Now you can ask all the, the questions you want. We've got about uh, 12, 13 minutes for Q&A. Uh, and, and just ask them. I'll try to repeat them, you know, for the, the, the sake of the tape. But they asked me to get a tough case. You know, on one level, I look at this and go, total failure in getting him to do what he needed to do. Almost a total failure in getting her to do what she needed to do at certain points. And yet, by God's grace, half, or in this case, maybe uh, three-quarters of the family was kept intact and blessed through the ministry of a church that actually would step in to a very tough situation and deal with it. Huh? So, so that's the first case. Any questions on that? Homework or anything? Yes, sir. What was that, the insight, that the, the thing that started you into being able to see what was going on here? I mean, you have, you have a rat's nest. There's a bunch of stuff comes in. It's crazy when they come in. Okay. So, okay. So the question is, where did I start? And you know, here's a whole mess of stuff. Well, the obvious place to start, like any other counseling, was you got to stop getting out of the car and acting like that, and you have to stop provoking her. 
you know, and, and you know, I'm not going to argue the whole issue of gifts and everything else, but, you know, this woman's behavior is not demonic. I mean, it is sin, you know, but she's not lifting tall buildings in a single bound and throwing them, you know, and, and, and doing supernatural feats. Uh, this is sin. You know, people come to me and say, I think I'm demon-possessed. And I say, what's the issue? Well, human heart can do that. Right? I mean, you don't need the devil directly to be into pornography. You don't need the devil to be directly involved in, uh, in molesting children. I mean, it's demonic, but, you know, it's not actual possession. So, so you start with the normal stuff, and you work from there. See, and in a sense, uh, I was doing the right things, but we were cutting grass off, but not getting to the root of it. <clears throat> You don't understand that out here in California, because, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, grass has roots, you know. Y'all, and you got to get the roots out of there, you know, because you don't get the roots, it's going to, someday it'll grow, you know, when the rain comes back, okay, or you irrigate it. Uh, so the point is, if there's no heart change, you know, you can get people to stop arguing, you know, uh, if I can get a guy to stop beating his wife and give her flowers, things are going to generally be better, Right. But then six months later, when she says something that bothers him, he's going to pop her again. You know, he's going to be right back into it because there's no heart change. See? Now, he didn't love his wife the way Christ loved the church. She was having a hard time submitting to him because he was unreasonable, but also because she had a lot of sin and didn't know that Christ really would sustain her and love her and protect her. See? So she got protection from the church that she didn't get from anywhere else, legally or whatever. So start with the obvious, because if you don't start with the obvious, people may not tell you the deep, the deep secrets of their heart. So you start outwardly and just simply say, look, I've got to teach you to handle disagreements in a peacemaker way. You know, give them those tools. So that's where you would start. And then, of course, you pale back and go, look, this comes out of the heart, doesn't it? Because inside, before you ever get out of the car, you're thinking, this guy's an idiot. You know, I can't submit to him. You know, and uh, again, there's passages. You go First Peter, you know, chapter 3. And by the way, husbands, treat your wives like, you know, don't treat her like Tupperware. Treat her like Ming Dynasty China. You know? Um, so... Uh, you work in that. As you work in counseling, uh, you know normal uh, kinds of assignments that you give and issues, and then you move to individual. Um, things can be different. You know, sometimes that anger can be fed by, you know, general rebellion like this. He was into trouble with uh, court issue over uh, property rights and a lot of other things. He was just rebellious across the board. Uh, what's the time frame for counseling this couple before it comes to an end like that? Okay, what's the, the time framework? This is the toughest. Okay, the question is, what's the time framework with couple, counseling a couple like this before you come to an end? Boy, that's tough, and that's why it's got to be in the local church. Because I'm not smart enough to always know. And as I said in the Q&A during you know, the speaker's panel, uh, the way... Did I say it there or somewhere else? Uh, the way we would do it in our church would be if the individual stuff is not working, then I take it to the elders 
And, you know, in the corporate wisdom, as we pray, fast, and everything else, they come to a decision and say, look, we've come to the end of the line. You know, there's, there's open rebellion, and then there's the, you know, you all know that if you've had kids, right? Some kids are in your face. That doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure that one out, you know? The other kids, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes. But they never do it, Okay. You know, so then I pull out my, my phrase, white man speaks with fork and tongue. You know, you know, you say one thing, you do another. And biblically, we treat you how you act, you know, because words can be cheap. So uh, all that's to say is I don't know a time framework, but it's, it's if you keep giving the same assignments or modified and the people don't do it, either you're making a mistake or they are. And when you come to the point where you go, as humbly as you can. I've done the best I can. I've really given you the right advice. You're not doing it. That's the time to go to the next level. You know, one-on-one, you know, Matthew 18. You know, one-on-one, two or three-on-one, okay? Uh, and then you take it to the church. Some, some people literally mean that to the whole body. I think that's chaotic. I mean, even if you're an independent church, you, t- you take it to the leaders, and then the leaders deal with it, and if it has to become public, Second Thessalonians, then you mark that person, you go through that process, and finally, you put them out of the body, hopefully that they'll be restored, and that the body will be protected. So I know that's not a helpful answer, but that's the best I can. I haven't answered that in 40 years because I don't want to, you know, be ticky-tacky and say you got 20 weeks and that's it. Uh, I want to err on the side of being extra gracious, but at some given point, you can't, you know, I, I go to person, aren't you tired of hearing me say this? Yes. Well, good. I'm tired of saying it. Here's the deal. Let's tape this session. And you go home and play it. Now, why do they do it? Now, I asked my, my wife's real smart, if you know her. She's very gracious and smart, biblical counselor. I said one day years ago, we're out here, why do people call Dr. Laura? You know, Laura Schlesinger, right? They know that they're going to be sliced and diced and fried and thrown out. She says, that's because of guilt. They just do it for penance, you know. They know that they'll call and she'll yell and scream at them and, you know, they feel like, well, I did something. (laughs) You know, uh, when people are like that, you get to the point of saying, I don't want to waste your time or mine. But if they're your own sheep, that's different. You have to nurture them all the way through that process, just like your own kids. What did you do to know that three churches were trustworthy? What did I do to know three were trustworthy? One, I joined one. Okay, so I, I was in one that was way down South Bay. You know, that was trustworthy because I knew how the elders worked. I worked with them or someone like, you know, Grace Bible, people that I, I work with. And pretty soon, you know, if you stand, if you hang around San Diego County, I'll just be blunt. You know, the good church is from the bad. OK, and it's not just the bad ones that are going for gay marriage. I mean, that's easy doctrinally, but there's others that are at least biblical in their, their doctrine, but not in their practice. Ooh, oh, we don't do that because we don't want to get sued. Okay, the next one's about us getting sued. I'll tell you about that, too, if you want to get scared. But um, churches do get sued. So we're not going to do that. 
And I actually had to look at some counselees and say, you know something? I don't like to speak evil of anybody. But here's the deal. Your pastor's not willing to come in here and help you. None of your elders are coming in here and help you. They're not backing you. Your husband's trashing you, you know, and they're just going, oh, whatever you want to do, it's up to you. And they're not vindicating you before the kids that, you know, you're the righteous one and your husband's the schlep. It's about time for you to go get real shepherds. I don't say that, you know, very quickly. But, you know, you get to know that. People, the Protestant Reformation was not perfect. But it was right. And one of the things they said, three marks of the true church. Who knows them? One, the right preaching of the gospel, not works righteousness. Two, right administration of the sacraments. And three, practice church discipline. Now, out here, there are a lot of friends that were in fellowships that, you know, I have to say are biblical, but they're they're quasi. They don't have membership. They don't have... They don't have uh, church discipline. You know, all this is going to shake out if we really get persecuted. It, it, it'll be, I mean, to join a Christian church I mean, in 20 years in the United States, you may have to be really serious about it. I came out of here, and, you know, one of the shocks beside the way people drove on the freeway <laughs> was the lightness of church. We don't have membership. We don't have a. Me- really? Oh. Gee, I thought that that was real. You know, church membership was a real thing. But you know, one more, uh, and then I'll get the second case. Yes, ma'am. Sp- speak more, uh, telling it to the church. There's a, it's not perfect, but there's a good little book called uh, uh, Handbook of it's Jay Adams' book, the Handbook of Church Discipline, and he goes through this this process. Matthew 18. If your brother sins. Go to him in private. If he listens, you've won him. Done. Under the blood, it's taken care. If he doesn't listen to you, what do you do? Take one or two others, and then it quotes the Old Testament, interestingly. A legal text applied to the church. It says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be concerned. It doesn't have to be an elder. It just has to be, you know, biblical counselor, someone who's got tight lips. They're not going to gossip, but they're going to be there. And the beauty of it is, they can go, hey, you called us in, but you're the problem. You got this wrong. We've heard this out. You don't see this right. You're upset this other person's right. You're wrong. Or we can see problems in both of you. Now, if that doesn't work, then the next text says, tell it to the church. Now, I would take that. You know, others might not. Whether it's independent, Baptist, Presbyterian, you tell that to the elders. The elders then deal with it, and then if it needs to become public, they take it to the congregation. If you're an extreme congregationalist, I know churches like this, they take it to the whole church. So they lay out all the information to everybody, and then they have a vote on whether or not this person is going to be disciplined or not. So it depends on your ecclesiology how that would be done. Now, I throw into that 2 Thessalonians, where it says if a man doesn't work, don't let him eat. But mark the man and don't treat him as an unbeliever, you know, so that he might be ashamed. You know, what the Mennonites call shunning. Yeah. So then if that doesn't work, then you announce it to the whole church and you treat him as what? A publican, a turncoat Jew, or a Gentile. 
someone who's not a believer. Now, is he not a believer? God only knows. 1 Corinthians 5. The guy who's sleeping with his mother or his stepmother, put him out of the church. Paul goes, even the Corinthians don't do that. That's, that's wicked city. This is, a, this is sin that even they don't do. You should be ashamed. For what? The glory of Christ, the good of the body, uh, and the reclamation of the offender. And if commentators are right, maybe that's 2 Corinthians. Hey, uh, the majority gave the discipline. It's enough. You know, take them back in. So that's, that's the process of telling it to the church. Now, why? Because this is what God gives us. It's a tool that God gives us for His glory and the good of the person and protection of the body. Um, and you don't do this, you get in trouble. You don't reclaim the person, and a person goes around, oh, those elders are a bunch of nuts. You, you've seen that, right? Oh, I'm the innocent one. It's my wife who's the, who, who's the one. Yeah. So, um, hopefully that, that'll be helpful to you, okay? Let me give you another case real quick, because um, uh, we're right, almost right on time. Uh, this is the suing sinner and his suffering family. Okay? This is a family. Uh, don't say all the sin starts in California. Sometimes it starts in the east and moves west, okay? Um, when I came out from uh, New Jersey to, to California in 82, they said, why is California like granola? Because when you take away all the fruits and nuts, all you have left is flakes. <laughs> You know, and the idea on the East Coast is all the sin starts here, and like the weather, you know, it kind of blows east. Well, sometimes it goes the other way. This was a professional man, uh, married to a woman, uh, four kids. Uh, he had been disciplined by his church, a Bible-believing church in the East, for committing adultery and not repenting of it. He got involved with a woman at work, a younger woman, you have to understand, this guy is a professional, making a lot of money. His wife put him through graduate school. It's a professional thing. Supported him. Only had a high school education. Had no means of really taking care of herself. And this guy's playing on the side. Well, his church back east actually disciplined him and excommunicated him because he wouldn't repent. They moved to San Diego. And uh, we get involved with them. And this is not counseling center, this is church. And uh, started counseling and trying to minister to the family. And, and the husband said, I really am repentant. I really want to come back to the Lord and do this the right way. The only problem was there wasn't an awful lot of honesty, openness, or even change. Give him assignments, not done. Oh, you know, all kinds of excuses. We then find out that said man is still carrying on the affair with the woman and planning to move her out to the West Coast as well. Okay? So, um, we uh, worked with them, tried to help them, give them assignments. He never quite... Um, came around and did what he was supposed to do. Um, wife and children are involved in the church. He hardly ever comes. 
supposedly work schedule, etc., but no real honest attempt. And then we find out he's still carrying on the affair. So um, we suggested, here's the deal, just draw a line in the sand. You say, that has to end, there has to be an honest attempt at reconciliation, or it's done. We're not telling you to divorce him. We're not, we're not telling you to divorce him. But we're telling you, you have biblical grounds. And if you enforce those, I mean, you follow through, we will back you. And we will defend you to the kids when they grow up, you know, and tell them what the real story was. Okay? No repentance, no change. Uh, a lot of ethical problems with the guy to where it almost costs him his job. He gets in trouble there. You know, I mean, the person's character is going to come out everywhere. Long story short, we've done all the counseling. Comes to this. The elders decide we got to write a letter to the court. Because it's coming down to a custody case. And we don't think this guy should get the kids. So we write letters to the court. Very interesting. He, run, he ran into somewhere, into a lawyer that was willing to take his case. He sued the church for $5 million. A million dollars, let me think of this, a million dollars each on five counts of clergy malpractice. Now, all the gory details are lost in my muddling, aging mind. You know? But I, the one I always remembered is the, the one that really I thought was the most creative. Yes. Alienation from the Lord. I was just coming back to my Christian faith, and I was just going to walk, and they took her side and alienated me. Our insurance company was not very happy with us for getting sued, but they had to defend us. So they offered uh, them $10,000 to settle out of court. No way. So they went to arbitration, and the guy, for whatever reason, the arbiter says, I think you have some complaints against the church. Secular guy. I don't think they handled it right. But it's not a money deal. So, $1 settlement. So, they come back and go, we'll take the ten grand." And they go, eh, too late. I'm still, am I bitter? Yes. <laughs> they gave him $1,000 to settle out of court. Now, it was probably, you know, one of those percentage deals. You know, whatever we get, you know, the lawyer took a percentage. Now, all that's to say, I still think we did the right thing. Not only backing her, but writing friends of the court brief letters to the court saying, look, this guy can't be trusted. He hasn't kept his word to his wife. He's in trouble in his work. You know, the bottom line is this man can't be entrusted with the legal and physical custody of children to direct them where they ought to go in life. Okay? And because of those, we got sued. I still think we did the right thing. Uh, you may or may not agree, but um, 
that was, again, just like the other case. And am I picking on men? Yes. Why? Because I are one, and it's easier to do that, okay? Uh, uh, okay. Uh, my wife doesn't like me to say this, but there's an old Robin Williams quote. She has the one that told me about this. Men have two organs, and they both don't work at the same time. I think that's pretty brilliant from a pagan, okay? Uh, the bottom line is uh, guys who get involved in this kind of lifestyle, they don't think clearly, and women have to be protected. Now, again, I know of cases, and I can hear a friend voice in the back, you nuthetic counselors, you always blame the guy. You know, sometimes it's the woman. And I've met some of those cases, and, and there are some women that are they're off the charts. But, you know, this, these are the ones I've chosen, okay? So the church, again, steps in and protects a vulnerable person and backs that person. And they helped a little bit with the kids as she went on to get some kind of professional training because eventually she had to do something to support the kids, even though he had plenty of money professionally that he could have done it. And in my opinion, it's just, you know, I wrote an article once, who owns the children of divorce? You don't want to, if I'm a judge, you don't want to come to me and be a Christian who's punked out on your responsibility because I would give full custody to the, to the faithful Christian and all the money to the Christian, too. And just say, you're sinful and you want your freedom? Fine, go. You got your freedom. You're legally, you know, there's no strings attached or whatever. So, um, as crazy it is, there was a case uh, in our church where they handed that to the judge. I'd really love to know the judge's reaction to read that article because it was pretty radical. Anyway, um, this is another case uh, and uh, I'll give you some, two of the other ones turn out good. I mean, so if you want to come back the next tonight, you know, you'll get the good cases that, you know, turned out happy, not happily ever after, but, you know, some better endings. But see, I want you to see that in these tough cases, I think I'll be able to stand before God and say, I am not ashamed of the gospel, and I am also not ashamed. I stood in the gap, and I protected this person. This person, because the Bible is very clear. The widow and the orphan and the person who's outside of the mainstream of a culture, whatever it is, okay? And, and every country has this. Our country has the whole slavery issue in our past, okay? Where, where were people who were quoting the Bible as well saying, man-stealing is also a capital offense? Hello. Okay? Uh, you know, there are things that are wrong, that, that, and Christians have to do that all the time. India, you know, sati, you know, when they would burn the wife, you know, and uh, in the early missionaries, don't do that, you know? Uh, Always counterculture. So we're going to get our chance probably in the next 10, 15 years. We'll be very countercultural. But at this point, the church has stepped in, and these were in San Diego where people were protected who really couldn't protect themselves. So uh, I, to be honest, I put it in a good sense, I'm proud of these churches. One was mine, one was another one of these churches that stepped in and really protected people. Now, you say, but it didn't get the marriage saved. No, it didn't. No, it didn't.
But unless you're radical, and I think radically wrong, where you believe there's no biblical grounds for divorce, okay, I can still hear my father saying, son, you're a liberal. I've never gone to any Bible conference and ever heard anybody teach the things that you're holding. <clears throat> so, well, Dad, they're in the Bible. Okay? Uh, <clears throat> but, uh, again, we need to be on the cutting edge of protecting people as well as preserving. So, well, we got 15 minutes. You can ask about this case or other cases. Or thing. Yes, Mike? <clears throat> you talked about the church protecting the vulnerable wife or wife who's been sinned against other than backing up her side of the story when the children are older and asking questions. Why did dad leave? Why did he sit right. and telling the truth? What are some tangible ways? Okay. Okay, here's what are some tangible ways? Mike's asked the question. Besides, you know, backing the wife and when the kids get older and ask if they ask, uh, what can they do? Well, one, first of all, they can say, before God, after reading, praying, fasting, we believe you have biblical grounds, which is you're not sinning. You need to have a clear conscience and anybody else who complains. Now, there are brothers that I would deem as real Christians who believe there's no biblical grounds. I can name names of people who are well-known theologians that say there are absolutely no grounds for divorce except if adultery happens during an engagement period. Well, I think that's exegetically wrong, okay? So first of all, she has a clear conscience. Secondly, if you believe, and I do, uh, this is not the place to prove it, but biblical divorce carries the right of remarriage, then she's protected if someone else comes up and goes, I think this is really a fine, godly woman, but ooh, she's divorced. Now, I know guys like that. Hey, she's divorced. She's tainted. You know, there's something, there's something wrong with her. She's damaged goods. So her reputation gets uh, protected. Uh, a third thing they can do, as at times, they might need to step in and get legal help. Deacons maybe need to pay out of the pocket and say, here, go see Debbie Dewar. You know, go get somebody who knows what they're talking about and get some legal help so you don't get completely creamed by, by your professional husband who has lots of money and can hire the best lawyers. And we all have seen notable cases like that. You know, if you have lots of money and you hire the right lawyers, you know, you can just walk out of court without getting nailed. Okay. So, so that's the, the family and the church. The, the third thing, is, or fourth thing, would be help her get some kind of education. Yeah. She, she's got to support the kids. She could go to nursing school, or she could pick up some other kind of skill. Maybe she can pay a paralegal or whatever. I think the deacons have to think about that. Remember the old dictum, if I feed you every day, I've kept you alive. But if I teach you how to fish... You know, you can keep yourself alive. So we need to think about women in, in these situations where they don't have the means to support themselves. You know? Uh, and then if it is a legitimate divorce, then I think you get it's comparable to death. Paul says, I want the younger, you know, widows to get remarried. Yeah. And w- what would be wrong? I don't think we need to be yentas. But there's nothing wrong with the. You know, I had one gal. Uh, this is another case. 
she came in and her uh, husband never told her that he had been involved in homosexuality. Found out that he had AIDS. I said, why didn't you tell her? You lied, you were deceptive to bring her into this marriage, professing Christians. She was from another country. Well, because I thought she would never marry. I said, is that true? She says, yeah, if I had known that, I would not have married her. So he lied. See, that woman nursed that guy while he was dying of AIDS. I told her, you're my heroine. Not, you know, not my drug, but, you know, you're my heroine, okay? And uh, um, later she came in. It was very interesting. She was almost engaged to a widower who had five kids. She had three. You know, they were almost getting... And he didn't marry her. He married another woman. And she came in and she was devastated. Devastated. You know, and I, I said, this is what you need to read. And then you... And she was so mad at me, and she came in next week. She says, thank you. She said, you, you did exactly what I needed to hear. She was bitter against God. And I said to her, you know, here's what. If you ever have another guy interested in you, and you need a letter of reference, you just call me and I'll write it for you. Because I really respect you. I respect you for what you did with your husband, and now you are ministering to other AIDS-infected families and telling them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're a quality woman. And I'll back you for any marriage. It's those kinds of things that we can do for people because they really feel like they're damaged, you know, property, and, and we can step into the gap. Now, again, within your theological context, I can't ask you to go against your conscience if you've got narrower views of remarriage, etc., uh, another thing you can do is you have to work with those kids. Teaching respect to the father, because he's your father, but simply saying he's not living in a very b- biblical, godly way. And you go through First Peter and all the other stuff about submitting to authorities, you know, who rule over you for the sake of uh, your, you know, your uh, fidelity to God. Yes, sir? You obviously are a passionate man. How do you keep your concerns for these individuals and defenses that you see before you correct in your own heart? Oh, boy. Okay, the question is, I'm obviously a passionate person. That's true. Uh, how do you keep this in proper perspective? I, I ask forgiveness a lot. <laughs> I am serious. It's one of my, you know, you're supposed to be swift to hear. It's real key. Swift to hear, slow to speak. I get in trouble when I don't speak slowly, okay? Because the wrath of man doesn't work, the righteousness that God requires. Okay, that's one of the reasons why you can't be a lone ranger, in my opinion. You have to work with other people. Because, you know, they'll hold you back, okay? Or if you're timid, they might prod you forward, okay? There were some famous reformers that were like that, Luther and Langton, you know, One's a peacemaker and the other one's a firebrand, you know, and he's always putting the fire out for the other guy. So we need the gifts of other people to do that. The, the other thing is, um, one of the blessings I have is my wife, you know, and you, if you run things by someone who's a lot calmer than you and see things from different perspective, you know, they can often say to you, well, have you ever considered this? No. Okay. 
Actually, I'll be honest with this, this is a confession of sin time. Uh, I'm worse when I'm right. You can have a hard time living with me if I'm right, because I know I'm right and I'm not going to back down. And, and that, that can be really, that can become fleshly pride or whatever. Even if it's, I'm trying always to do for God's glory and the good of people, but, but the problem is, you know, it becomes more of a personal thing. And, um, you know, God is the one who judges everyone. I have to keep reminding they're God's servant, not mine. And they answer to him. And um, uh, this may help you in this regard. This has helped me a lot. Proverbs. If your enemy falls, what? Little quoted. Don't gloat. Lest the Lord see and be displeased and what? Take his hand off your enemy. So I got to back off and go, go ahead, Lord. Go to it. Uh, it's what I did when I came out of driving as an Easterner. All these people. And there was a, I have these ugly old cars. and Someone always becomes a nice Beamer or, you know, you know, Ferrari. They do a six-lane switch to get off the, you know, you know you've seen it over here. It's, well, I used to drive around San Diego in 82. And I finally say, this is wrong. The Bible tells me to pray for them that despitefully use you. Bless and curse not. So I started praying for people. I still remember this day, going down 805. I had gone to the office to get my notes to preach. And when you go to preach, you got to be right. You know? So I'm going down 805, and that's where the lane comes down, real 94, and it goes in. And I saw this guy busting, and I knew he was going to try. And I am going. I didn't slow down. I'm going the speed limit. And he tried to pass me, and he didn't. And he gave me the bird all the way off the off-ramp at, I forget it was, Plaza or whatever it was. And I'm thinking, Lord, that guy's going to go home and beat up his wife or kick the dog. So I start praying for him. Lord, please don't, please don't give him what he deserves. Help that guy. He's an idiot. But Lord, please protect him from himself and don't let him hurt anybody. And Lord, if you want a chips to see him and give him a ticket... I'm all for it, Lord. <laughs> but that's your call. Okay? And those kinds of prayers really help me. You know? Because <laughs> I know there's a day coming. <laughs> and they're not going to escape the Lord. Okay? So, but quickly, i go a few more minutes. Uh, other questions on these cases or, or some other cases like this. Yes, ma'am? We're not spring chickens here, but we counsel primarily marital. Okay. we found that the older people are the harder ones to counsel. They don't want to Okay, so the question, you, all right, okay, there's the question. Okay, we're not spring chickens. We do a lot of, <laughs> I'm not identifying as it. Uh, we're not spring chickens, we, but we do a lot of counseling. And you notice, right, the closer they get to your age, right, they don't change as quick, do they? But here's the thing people do change. And regeneration is regeneration. And the Holy Spirit can change somebody when they're 80 as well as when they're 8. So it's the same thing. And the only thing is, you like being miserable? Fine. (laughs) Your way's not working. So God bless you. If you want to be miserable the rest of your life, go ahead. Why did you come in? 
See, if you won't let them complain about the other person. See, here's one. I'll throw this one for free. I always say this. Guess what? Say to the guy, if your wife dies tonight, your problems haven't ended. Well, what do you mean? I said, she won't be around to bug you, but guess what? You'll still be you. And you'll still be bitter. And you'll still react to people who treat you like this. You know, it won't change. She's just a circumstance that perks out what's really in your heart. And I'll be honest, that's what I said. You know, undiluted Scipione isn't real pretty. Because when you squeeze out all the extraneous, all you left has got the ugly stuff, other than what the Holy Spirit puts in there. They said, and the bottom line for people, you're right, the older people get. But the Bible is so refreshing compared to what people grow up with that even, even 80-year-olds can change. They really can and uh, should go in with renewed hope and just say, look at us. We're as old as you. But we're happy. We're happy. Why? I learned to confess my sins years ago. That's why I often use my examples, my negative examples, to say, I'm, I was angry just like you. And I'll tell them my story. And I'll say, this is how my wife helped me. And this is how God convicted me and changed me. And, and this is how we began to deal with it. Why don't you try that? So, you know, Hold out that godly carrot and say, boy, doesn't grace smell a lot better than what you're living in? You know? And, and, and maybe they'll go for it. So. Yes, you had your hand up, ma'am. Very good question. The question is, how do you get the balance? You promise to people you won't talk to anyone else about it. First of all, you can ask permission of the person. Uh, Just going back to basic principles, you never promise absolute confidentiality. I don't believe that you can defend that biblically. We're not Roman Catholic priests. You know, we have the penitent priest relationship. So one, you never make that promise. And we say that right in our confidentiality statement. Uh, Two, uh, it depends. Uh, Let me put on the pastor's hat. When I'm a pastor, I don't tell my wife anything that she shouldn't know because she's not not another elder. She doesn't need to also need to know all the gory details of what's going wrong, you know, with my relationship with others either. Because, you know, your wife may be gentle and kind like mine, but, you know, Pastors' wives are kind of like bulldogs, you know, with lipstick. No, I mean, you know the older, right? Yeah, really, right? That elder's wife? That what? That's the guy that's giving my husband the problem. She go bites his kneecap off. Okay, not good for pastoral relationships with the flock. I've seen congregations, to be honest, where people say, "I won't go to my elders." Why? Because I know it'll go to the wife. And that was the known policy of this church, very good church in every other way. But they said, look, we're one flesh. We need to bounce that off our wives. And they said, it, it's just, it's going to be all over the church. There's, there's no way once it gets told to the elders' wives that it's going to be you know, kept in. So you don't tell what they shouldn't know. Then if you're a counselor, you can say, look, 
I will be asking someone advice on this because I'm not exactly sure where to go. Can I have your permission? So for some people, you know, we've never promised them absolute uh, immunity from legal or ecclesiastical issues. We, we put that right in our statement. Uh, because uh, I don't have a right morally or ethically to withhold criminal information from the state or serious sin information you know, from the church. So it's a balancing act. And uh, lots of times you can pray it through yourself, but then you can have someone. We have uh, staff meetings where we can talk over issues if we're, we're struggling with, with things. Well, it's, it's about that time, so I'm going to pray and let you go. It's uh, 4.14. Um, have a really great supper time. Uh, come back, and uh, I'm looking forward to this evening. And if you come back, we'll be, we'll be a little more upbeat cases, things that were worse than this but actually turned out amazingly well by God's grace. Okay, Father in heaven, I thank you for these folks. I pray that you'll bless them. Lord, it's just amazing to me that you even use us and that we accomplish anything for your glory. All praise goes to you. Lord, it's uh, hard being your children. You get all the glory and we get all the credit for the bad stuff. But that's the reality. And so we thank you that as uh, someone has said, you use sinners who are struggling with sin to help other sinners. And Lord, as Paul Tripp pointed out, we, we uh, do uh, help one another by your grace. Lord, we think of people who are well-known, who have recently fallen into sin. We pray, Lord, that you'd be with them and people can come alongside and not only get them out of the ditch, but Lord, help them from falling into that ditch again. Lord, have mercy on us and help us to, to not only love you, but in a good sense to fear you, Lord. We don't want you to be disgraced. We don't want you, Lord, uh, to be maligned. Lord, uh, we pray that if we have to suffer, it may be for righteousness and not for our own stupidity. Bless us and give us a refreshing time over supper. In Christ's name, amen. Copyright 2015 IBCD. All rights reserved. More free audios are available at www.ibcd.org.